This episode of Engineering the Future is brought to you by Manulife, OSPI's life and health insurance partner. Thousands of engineering professionals trust the protection of Engineers Canada-sponsored insurance plans. With affordable association rates and flexible plan options, we think there could be a plan that's right for you and your family. To learn more about these exclusive life and health insurance plans, visit manulife.ca slash This podcast is brought to you by OSPI, the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers, the advocacy body for professional engineers in the engineering community in Ontario. Welcome to Engineering the Future, a podcast presented by the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers. I am your host, Jerome James. This is part one of a special three-part series. Given the critical role that government plays in setting the agenda for the engineering ecosystem in Ontario, we invited all four candidates from the Ontario Liberal Leadership Race to share their vision for the future of our province and to discuss the vital role engineers and organizations can play in shaping that future. We're very happy to be joined by three of them, MPs Yasser Nakfi, Nate Earthkin-Smith, and MPP Ted Chu. From the housing crisis to climate change, Join us as we explore the intersection of engineering expertise and provincial politics in Ontario. Our next candidate is Ted Chu, MPP for Kingston and the Islands. He is a former Liberal MP and was first elected to the provincial legislature in 2022. Ted, welcome to Engineering the Future. Hey, it's great to be here with you, Jerome. Let's just jump right into it. As you know, Ontario is in a housing crunch at the moment. If you were Premier of Ontario, what are some first steps your government would take to, you know, correct home ownership, make it, make it more affordable? Well, in the short term, there are people we have to protect. Uh, 50% of people are living paycheck to paycheck. So in the short term, uh, we have rent control in Ontario. We'll have to continue uh, with that to protect people in the short term. But in the longer term, we have to build more housing and we can start by making it legal to build more housing. And what I mean by that is we want to legislate the right to build uh, medium density housing. And we want to create mixed neighborhoods with buildings of, of different sizes and different um, living arrangements, apartments, townhouses, as well as single detached uh, homes. It's uh, The families are different sizes, they have different needs, and we should be able to provide uh, for all of them. But we've got to build a lot more uh, housing. And I want to build density in cities because I want to stop urban sprawl. And that's also because I have another policy, which is to protect uh, prime agricultural land. All of these things fit together, and you can't um, consider housing in isolation. So building more houses, uh, infrastructure planning is going to be a big part of that. yeah, making sure that we have good transportation. Public transit is important uh, to making housing work. If people have easy transport, uh, they can get to work and get to the other things they need to uh, travel to without uh, using automobiles so much. And that will allow us to have uh, denser housing. So we want to do things like uh, connect communities with a world-class public transport uh, transit system, whether it's buses in, in uh, smaller cities or it's expanding Go and the transit system, uh, Toronto transit system in the GTA. Excellent. 
as we move towards Canada's commitment to achieve net zero emissions by 2050, what actions would your government take to achieve this target in Ontario? Uh, to me, the um, thing I would focus on first is to uh, stop burning natural gas for baseload uh, power. And now I have to take a few steps back because in order to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions, we have to um, electrify our economy. So we're going to be electrifying transportation. We're going to be electrifying home heating starting in the south of Ontario and moving up to the north as the technology gets better for very cold climates. And we're going to be electrifying industry. So um, all of these new uh, electric vehicle plants and battery plants are, are going to need a lot of electricity. Uh, we're going to need electricity for um, industrial processes like uh, steel. And just today I was reading an article about the fact that we would be needing a lot more electricity if people are going to be using artificial intelligence uh, more because it requires a lot of computing power. We've already experienced this a little bit with uh, Bitcoin. Uh, and uh, if we're relying on artificial intelligence, we're going to be relying on a lot more computing power. That's going to rely more on electricity. So that sets the context for trying to uh, produce electricity that is uh, clean and affordable and reliable. And the Ford government's plan currently is to rely on, in the short term, in the next uh, five years, 10 years, on building a lot more natural gas plants. But that's going backwards in, in climate change. The Ford government lost so much time at the beginning of its mandate in 2018, they canceled renewable energy projects, actually paid to, to dismantle them. They stopped uh, conservation programs. They did not get going on energy storage. So we've got to build out energy storage, which allows you to use more solar and wind power. And then there are uh, other opportunities, a little bit less um, of the total fraction of our electricity needs, but... Uh, there's, there's bioenergy and there's geothermal energy. Uh, and there are projects uh, that have happened recently to, to work in those areas. But the main thing is to replace the baseload natural gas generation with solar and wind power. And we need the energy storage to make these intermittent storage sources of renewable energy uh, possible. And, you know, wind and, and solar by themselves, uh, so this is before you take into account the, solar, the storage, they, they're actually much, much cheaper than any other um, source of energy right now because uh, the technology has has developed. And, and we have to move quickly. You know, there's, there's people, scientists say we have to cut our emissions by half by 2030. And the next election is in 2026. So that's a third of the way to 2030. So one of the things I say is we cannot be campaigning by waving a piece of paper and, and saying, this is, this is the world's greatest climate change plan, um, because because we can't throw away one third of the time, which we have precious little of, uh, wait for the next election. So I'm going to be, because I have a seat in, in Queen's Park, I'm going to be pushing and shoving the Ford government to do as much as they can uh, about climate change before the, the next election. I think we owe it to people to, to try as hard as we can before the next election. So you're ultimately saying that time is of the essence right now to making a difference. Time is of the essence. And you know, the, the two, that reminds me that the, the 
two or three years that the Ford government lost uh, when they first took office and they canceled the renewable energy conservation and they did not get going on storage. That's going to cost us a lot of money because after the pandemic, the, the cost of all sorts of heavy equipment is up a lot. Um, I mean, we know that just from everyday things around our own houses, but the cost of heavy equipment to, to generate um, energy and to transmit energy, uh, that's gone up a lot. And and then the United States went and passed uh, the IRA. The uh, It's an act in the United States that spends a lot of money building out, <clears throat> building out renewable energy and energy transmission and, and um, other forms of energy generation in the United States. And so when it comes to buying these things, Ontario is now at the back of the line behind the United States. Uh, and we're, that's going to make us pay even more. And what's worse is that if I was talking to some people who work in the energy field, the immense, immense uh, spending in the United States is actually, they're hiring away Canadian experts to work on US energy projects. And so we're even losing our people uh, to that. And that dovetails nicely into my next question, which which is, what kinds of jobs do you foresee engineers taking on in this future, in this more sustainable future, to help in this transition? Well, one of the one of the things that we need to do that's not easy to do is we have to build out the uh, the grid. We have to build out not only the uh, interprovincial, the regional. Uh, grid, but we have to build out local grids. If people are going to have a battery, for example, at home, and it may even be their automobile, um, they need to have uh, a grid so that they can discharge their battery during peak times and displace um, displace generation from from say a natural gas plant. I I can see a lot of people. Uh, uh, charging these batteries, maybe when the sun is shining, uh, or at night when energy is cheap because uh, the um, demand is low, and then discharging them at at peak times. Um, so, in order to do that, we need to build out the local grid. Right now, if everybody on a typical older street in Ontario, if everybody were to buy an electric uh, vehicle and plug it in, uh, the local grid might not be able to handle that. And then add on to that. Uh, add on to that, everybody converting from natural gas heating to heat pumps. And that's going to increase even more the demands on uh, electricity on the local grid. So we have to build out the local grid as well as the the provincial, uh, the province-wide grid. If we want to attract industry to Ontario, we're going to have to make sure that we have reliable, affordable, and clean electricity. A lot of companies want to locate in a jurisdiction where they have clean electricity and where they can tell their own customers that whatever they produced was produced using clean electricity, non-emitting uh, sources of generation. What do you see as the government's role to play in this energy transition? Um, to coordinate everything, first of all. So um, uh, that's a. There are a lot of answers to this. So, for example, if we want to build energy storage or put up a renewable energy project, we need the um, cooperation of local municipalities. So, it's the role of government to reach out to local municipalities to uh, to gain the support of local municipalities. And I think the important thing is to engage them proactively 
Um, we always need communities uh, helping out to encourage people, for example, to um, get involved in conservation programs or to upgrade the to convert from natural gas to uh, to heat pumps in their in their homes to set up rules so that we don't automatically uh, uh, install natural gas heaters for every new house that gets uh, built. Um, in some communities uh, around the world, they have said all new builds have to not use natural gas for for heating. So um, I think there's a big role for government as well as the sort of, on a very large scale, I think it's important to keep the price on greenhouse gas emissions. The, so federally, it's the carbon price, but uh, I know some provinces are fighting the what they call the, the carbon tax, but it's really important for governments to not give um, burning fossil fuels an unfair advantage because that's going to kill a lot of um, initiatives to switch over to uh, renewable energy or energy conservation. We hope you're enjoying this episode so far. At OSPI, we're here for you, making sure government, media, and the public are listening to the voice of engineers. You can learn more at ospi.on.ca. As society moves away from fossil fuels, this gap in energy will be made up through electrification. Yes. Some estimates say that Ontario may need to more than double its current electricity output to meet future demands. What would a future liberal government under your leadership do to solve this looming issue? Yeah, we if you just look at all the megawatts we need, it's it's pretty clear. We are converting our whole economy to uh, electricity away from fossil fuels. Uh, and I think one important thing that we should be doing is we should be continuing to refurbish the nuclear plants. So we just had one reactor refurbished at Bruce, another one at Darlington. Uh, and those act those refurbishments actually came in uh, a little bit earlier than scheduled and, and um, uh, uh, on budget. So that's a, that's a really good sign. Uh, the refurbishment will continue for several more years as the other reactors uh, go in turn. But I also think we should be, uh, building another large reactor at the Bruce uh, C site. Bruce has four sites, A, B, C, and D. Uh, A and B have reactors, C and D are empty. And I think it makes a lot of sense to build another uh, CANDU reactor on the on site C uh, because we need so many uh, megawatts of, of energy uh, in order to fulfill our, our greenhouse gas uh, targets. So major projects going forward, uh, government needs to coordinate a lot of different moving parts. Um, more engineers are going to be required to take on uh, these types of uh, skilled jobs of the future. Do you foresee an increase in scholarships, innovation grants to aid in this process? I am very interested in um, encouraging innovation. Uh encouraging, you know, when I see a new apartment building going up in downtown Kingston and that uses geothermal energy um, for for heating and cooling, I, I get very excited. So I want to make sure that we have a lot of engineers who are thinking about that and, and trying to uh, build these things efficiently and 
inexpensively and always thinking about what's the next best, uh, what's, what's the next improvement that we can, uh, that we can make. So I think we need engineers in that. We need engineers in the agri-food industry to see what we can do there about, uh, uh, energy. I, I visited a farm that, uh, it was a dairy farm, but they had a biodigester operation as well. So building that out is something that's going to happen in the next uh, few decades. And so we'll need engineers to, to do that. Um, and uh, again, the whole, the whole energy system needs a lot, of, uh, a lot of changes, a lot of upgrades. And so engineers are going to be used, uh, used everywhere. Uh, and, and not only that, like software engineers... So, I, I said earlier, uh, artificial intelligence is going to um, uh, use a lot of electricity, or there's going to be other sort of computing-intensive ways of using electricity. And so, so engineers and in, in software and so on are going to be thinking about what's the uh, what's the trade-off between whatever application we're, we have for for computing power and the the energy that it takes. And you know, sometimes an improvement in some algorithm can save you a lot of computing time and money. Uh, so, um, so I think there's a lot of opportunity for, for engineers there. Switching gears a little bit here. Um, we hear a lot all the time about the overabundance of lawyers and business people who end up getting elected to government. Would you agree that we need more technically minded people as engineers, such as engineers interested in politics, getting elected and contributing to policy decisions? I do. I think it's very important to have a uh, diversity of uh, elected members. Uh, I would say right now, there's certainly in the provincial uh, legislature, you get a lot of candidates who are teachers or healthcare uh, professionals. And, and that's natural because um, the, a big chunk of the provincial budget is, is health and education. But I think that a healthy, uh, a healthy caucus uh, is one that has people from all sorts of different uh, professions. And right now, it's it's part of the you know it's very hard in engineering to kind of leave and then come back. And same in in any any of the STEM fields, it's hard to leave and come back. It's a bit easier in healthcare and and education and and law, for example, to to leave and come back. Uh, but it is very important to have that different point of view, different way of thinking. When you have tough decisions and you're getting together in a group to try to make these decisions, it's important to have people who think differently because one of the worst things that can happen in a group is that you all start thinking the same way and relying on each other instead of thinking for yourself. And uh, I think people with a STEM background, engineers in particular, are used to thinking about practical issues. Um, it's important to have them contribute, but it requires, because getting elected can involve spending a lot of time off work or at least uh, building a team of people who can help you, um, if you, if you can't campaign during the day, um, it, it's important to know that a lot of work is involved and I think the profession can try to help individual members who want to run by making it easier to um, 
have a day job in engineering and run for office uh, and on the nights and the weekends uh, and have that. I, mean, I think employers should try to provide that flexibility when possible, but uh, it's it's something that should be encouraged. And I think people need to be asked to run. Um, I'm the only one of the leadership candidates with a, with a technical background, a background in science, and I will definitely be talking to candidates potential candidates and asking them to run and I'll be wanting a diversity of candidates and I feel very comfortable speaking to scientists and engineers and I will be asking them to to consider running and then I know that sometimes people have to be asked multiple times so I'm going to be going back to people and right sure like you should run you should run think about it here's what you have to do uh, and uh, I definitely want to increase the people in um in the legislature with, with STEM backgrounds. How important is it for government to work with organizations like the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers? What role should they play at the provincial level? I think it's important to help develop policy for um, a sanity check because a lot of times um, you have groups that are lobbying and saying, we want you to spend money on this or we want you to spend money on that. And but there are real limits. There are technical limits. There's there are real cost limits. Unless there's a finite amount of resources that you have to distribute between different causes. And uh, one thing that engineers, uh, the professional societies, can do is to provide uh, independent, uh, competent analysis of different policy issues. So just. For example, looking at something that we've just spoken about, we could say, um, what is the, we could ask engineers to say, well, what, what is the reasonable, like, okay, make sure you get a bunch of uh, engineers together who are not connected to any government agencies like IESO or, or, um, uh, or anybody else. And, and, and uh, tell us what you think would be a good plan going forward to build out uh, the, the grid, the local grid. Uh, and how much would it cost? And and what what's you know put your professional, uh, your best professional credentials behind on the line to justify your your guesses. And and that can feed into policy so that politicians have reasonable policy. And if if something that we're promising is not reasonable, then we need people like engineers to say. Uh, no, I, we don't think that's realistic. It's going to cost a lot more than you think, or it's going to take a lot longer than you think. Because the advocacy groups are going to cheer and they're going to say, yeah, yeah, you are, you are on our side. Um, and, and I think we need engineers to, to say, okay, guys, reasonably, uh, this is what we think can actually be done. And, and I, I think that's really important for, for good government. And finally, what would you say is the best way for engineers or anyone for that matter in Ontario to get involved in the political process? Well, I think the first thing to do is to, um, if you're already voting and following the issues, the first thing to do is to get involved in a political campaign. Uh, find a candidate that you like. And I always recommend uh, volunteering to do door knocking. And the reason for that is that when you knock on doors and you talk to people, you get a sense of how people decide how they're going to vote or even whether they're going to vote. And if you understand how people decide on their vote, 
you already understand a lot about how politics works. Be just as an example, one of the trade-offs in politics is sometimes you want you know what you want to do. You say, okay, here's here's ten things that we think will solve this problem. Uh, but when you sit down and you decide what you're going to do, you also politicians also have to ask the question. Uh, how many of these things can we explain to the public? How many of these things will uh, the opposition not be able to um, argue against um, because it's complicated and they will oversimplify and provide an argument that will cost us votes, uh, even though it's wrong? So you just, as a politician, you not only decide what um, you think is the right thing to do, but you decide how to communicate it and what fraction of what you want to do can you communicate and then you end up implementing the things that you can communicate so when you sit down and decide on some issue very often you have a you have a dual conversation one is what do we think the right thing to do is uh and the second thing is how do we explain it to people and if we can't explain it to people a lot of the times we don't we don't do uh, something, uh, or we we wait we wait until we can figure out how to explain it to people, uh, and that's the thing that's a sense that you get if you go and knock on doors for a for a campaign. So that's what that's I think a first step that I would encourage everybody to to get involved in is get knock on doors, talk to voters, and get a feel for how how elections work, and you'll. Uh, that's invaluable. It's a great way to start. Ted, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about these important issues. I could go on and on. I'm very passionate about all these things. I want to fix. Uh, I want to fix the system. In in, I don't want to fix little things. That's why I'm running for leader. Is there are so many things that I think uh, need some uh, an overhaul, need change, and I know that. Uh, I know that I can contribute to that change. I know that I can do a, a good job. Uh, I like doing a good job because of my science background, just like engineers take pride in their technical work. Uh, and in fact, are held to high professional standards for their technical work. That's the kind of approach that I want to take as uh, the leader of the Ontario Liberal Party and the next premier of Ontario. This is the end of part two of our three-part series. Once again, we've learned how critical engineers are when it comes to solving some of the biggest issues facing Ontario and the importance of getting involved. And a good place to start is becoming an OSPE member. We're the voice of engineers in Ontario, and together we can make a difference to improve the quality of life in our province. Thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Jerome James. You've been listening to Engineering the Future, and we'll see you next time. From all of us at OSPI, the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers, thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.